And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. It is the beginning of a busy broadcast week here at Sci-Fi For Me TV. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. 100 days. 100 days without an incident. I'm very happy about that. Lots of stuff happening over the weekend. And uh, just to put this out in the universe, if Daisy Ridley needs work, uh, we've got uh, positions open for writers. Of course, they need to be volunteers at this point, but, you know. All right, here we go. Speaking of writers, let's bring in our guest, Mr. Clint Stoker, dialing in from Utah. Hello, sir. Hey, Jason. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been a while. I've been on been on uh, a couple of your streams, and you've been on ours uh, a couple of times. But you you are a very busy man, especially lately. <laughs> uh, it's like every time you launch a book, and it just you, you, my schedule just fills right up. So. I I can imagine we uh, we kind of partially halfway not really launched uh, our own, but it didn't go very well. But you you seem to be doing pretty well with yours. Um, let me let me pull this up here because this is the the new one that we're talking about fatal flynn's alien termination and logistics this is uh, currently funding on indiegogo it is currently sitting at f- just over forty three thousand uh, dollars you are at 542 percent of your goal that that's that's very impressive. So congratulations on that. How many you've got uh, 18 days left? What do you what do you think? What are the projections looking like that you're going to end up doing? Are you going to extend another 30? I normally don't extend. I'm going to do it this time uh, because uh, everybody was telling me just extend it, try it out. You know, so it'll be kind of an interesting case study to see if it really makes a difference. You know, the the idea is not that you're. Uh, making people think that you're going to end at 30 days and then ex- extending it's that you're enlisting the algorithm of Indiegogo to help you out. Right. Uh, basically for a little bump. So I'm, I'm not sure we'll find out um, if uh, backer trackers to be believed, then uh, we're on track to hit 75 K by the end of the, you know, the next 18 days. Uh, but I'm, I don't know. I don't know how much I trust backer tracker, honestly. <laughs> so, so, well, they I've, always seem to be a little off. I've got to, I've got to say the, the, when, when we did ours, uh, you know, backer tracker was showing that we were only going to end, we were going to end our campaign at, I think 12% of our goal. So I was like, yeah, it's, you know, we probably need to regroup on this a little bit and figure something out. But, uh, but it, mainly because I guess we're not doing a book. So I don't know. I don't know if that's yeah. anything to do with it or not. So let me let me go back a little bit. So speaking of books, because you started uh, as a prose author. You've got a couple of books over on Amazon that are not comic books. Right. What got you started writing in the first place? Let's start there, because I don't know that I've heard that part of your story yet anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I really, I don't know. It was really, I could boil it down to one book, which was I am legend by Richard Matheson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read that book and it just, uh, it had me thinking about it, uh, hours later, days later, I would just sit there and think about it. I wanted to talk to people about it. You know, there was just something so cool about his writing in that story, um, that I thought, I want to do this to somebody. I want to have somebody read something and then have it stick with them, you know, mm-hmm. and have them think about something that they otherwise wouldn't have, you know? And so th- that kind of got me interested in writing. Um, I uh, thought the best way to learn how to write would be just to write a novel. So I, I planned one out. My first book was, uh, it was titled the cause and uh, it was not great. It was a, it was a mess, but it took me, Oh, I don't know. The better part of two years to write it and during that time it was a really good learning experience <laughs> so i wanted to do a better one i wrote the second one uh which was 
uh, much better, much uh, more proud of that one. Um, anyway, so it was a good learning experience, but um, I'd been interested in comics and to me, comics was, it's the ultimate, uh, you know, form of expression and storytelling. And so I wanted to do comics, but uh, it, it didn't seem like it would be possible because you have to get the artist and everything, uh, you know, lined up. Uh, so now I'm doing comics, you know, so it, it's been kind of a fun transition. I learned a lot from prose that I could take over and apply to writing comics. Uh, but, you know, it, it's still, it's definitely a different medium. There was a little bit of a learning curve to make the switch. Well, in the meantime, while you're making that transition, you're also, you know, developing your YouTube channel, Sweetcast, which is how I stumbled across you and, and with some of your commentary on what was going on in the comics industry, some of the different reviews that you had done. Is that, was that the impetus for switching over to comics or did you always think at some point I want to write comic books instead of books or you still want to keep one foot in either side of things? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So I actually started trying to get into comics uh, years before I started my YouTube channel. Um, so I published, let's see, the cause was 2011. Uh, All for own was 2014, 2013. One of those 2013, I think is when I published it. Uh, and so from there, I just thought I want to do comics. Uh, so I was making little submissions, like eight page submissions to send into image comics and, um, you know, getting no success. I tried out for a couple anthologies, no success because I thought those were the routes to get in. You know what sure. I mean? <laughs> uh, so that, that sort of w was always my angle of, you know, how I was going to get into comics. So most of my efforts, uh, just, are unrecorded essentially, you know, they didn't, they just went uh, in a slush pile to die basically. Well, and Valiant has just, uh, has just announced that coming up in September, they've got two days that they're going to be doing writer portfolio reviews. And we always hear about, you know, the artist portfolio reviews at the comic cons, you know, you can bring your portfolio you can show us your pages, see if you can do sequentials and, and that sort of thing. But we don't hear a whole lot about writers breaking into the industry unless they know somebody or uh, I was talking to um, uh, Nick Lowe when he was group editor of X-Men all, all the years ago. And he was talking about the best way to break in was be, basically write your own thing and develop an audience and, and have a have a following and have a track record before you approach the big two or the big four or, you know, how, however many you want to count in that top tier, you know, DC Marvel image, Dark Horse and that set. And then you turn around and all of all of you guys are writing your own comic books, you're crowdfunding your own comic books. And it strikes me as you here's how you do it now go do it no 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 not that way it's almost like there's this this not really a double standard but you guys are are not just breaking into the industry you're you're carving out a whole new niche it seems with all of these crowdfunded indie books your own you own your own, your own IPs you can do anything you want to it and you're getting to the point and looking at the dollar amounts, you're almost at the point where you don't need to go to DC or Marvel or image or IDW or dark horse to, to have a career in comics. Is this a blip on the radar? How long do you think this is going to last? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think that it, it, uh, things are naturally changing. The, the um, the industry is going through a disruption period um, and you're kind of seeing that with DC comics. Not only that, but you're seeing that with a lot of creators like uh, Scott Snyder leaving to do his own uh, creator own stuff exclusively, you know, from what he said. Uh, and so I don't know, to me, like there, there's something to it. It's, it's the natural progression that there can be more creators doing their own thing. And even before I, I started doing comics, um, you know, and just writing novels, they would always tell you, you're not going to get accepted for publication unless you have a following, build a following first. But then you have to step back and think, then what's the point of a publisher? 
Because if, if I can go out and market my own book, getting a book printed is not a big deal. Right. You, you, you just get a business partnership with a printer. You, as long as you can pay them, you, you, it's not a big deal. But getting, getting the, the market, uh, getting your, the word out to people and getting a following, that, that's what's so difficult. And publishers have already had a, such a difficult time themselves creating a following that that's why they're looking for creators that already do that for them. Essentially, they're bringing the audience to the, the publisher. So it, it doesn't make a lot of sense in all cases. I do have a publishing deal with Alterna Comics, but uh, what's great about them is that uh, I think he recognizes that I'm bringing an audience uh, to the table. And so, you know, I still, I own the IP. Uh, I have uh you know, very flexible uh, print uh, publication schedule that revolves around me crowdfunding. And so I'm still getting the benefit of crowdfunding and the benefit of getting monthly issue or, uh, you know, single issues uh, published out to the world. And that's so it's, Downcast, you know. which was your first crowdfunded book. Yeah. And I guess that's the, that's the other part of this, the, the retail side of things, because when you get, when you get these crowdfunded books, you're like for Downcast, you had 924 backers and the overall grand scheme of things. When the sweet spot for monthly comics, DC Marvel is 40,000, say, or 10,000, you know, whatever those, whatever those, those threshold break even numbers are, you look at something like this and a lot of people like to make, Hey, well, you only sold 924 books. Well, yeah, but you made $31,000. I mean, granted, you've got your expenses and stuff that have got to come out of that. But then you look at uh, the sustainability of it, and that's something that's come up uh, a couple of times, the questions that, that get raised, how sustainable this model is. And it looks like from, from what everybody is doing so far, you and Richard Meyer and Ethan and Brian Polito and, and Billy Tucci and... All of these, all of these guys. Some of you who are brand new to this, and some of you who are veterans to this. I mean, Polito's done what, twelve, fifteen different campaigns at this point, and now Scott Snyder's in. Uh, uh, Sean Gordon Murphy is in. Who knows who's going to be the next one? But it does feel like the retail aspect of that is still that big question mark on. How do, okay, I can get it to a thousand people. How do I get it out into every place else? Now we got Mitch Breitweiser making a deal with Walmart, and that's caused some some headaches for some people because his crowdfunded book is still yet to be delivered, and it's out in the Walmart stores. But he's in he's in over three thousand Walmart stores. I mean, you know, from the conversation that I had with him, that was one of those make the deal now or never again type of things. So it's, it's, it's definitely something that Mitch has said complicated pretty much everything. And then you've got your deal with, uh, with Peter Samedi over at Alterna. Is that the next step? Is that the next thing is getting into some kind of a monthly thing? I mean, we, we just noticed over on Twitter this morning, somebody asking Ethan about a monthly comic and now he's talking about Cyberfrog and and Jawbreakers from Richard going monthly. Yeah, that's that seems to be the next progression of things. But is that sustainable in the model that you guys are using? Uh, I I think it needs some refinement. Uh, to be honest, uh, th there's um I was I've never been wild from like a reader's perspective to pay twenty five dollars get a forty eight page book and get that once a year perhaps that that's uh to me that's not ideal that's not uh i i don't know it's probably sustainable for those creators i still want those kinds of books but it it leaves holes in my uh my reading catalog you know what i mean so i, I i'm buying trades and omnibuses you know hellboy and, and other things like that because i still i like to read comics you know yeah. um so the idea of a monthly book it really excites me. That's more, I think, of uh, a sustainable model. And it's more how you get new readers in and, and things like that. So I think part of it is figuring out how to get everyone paid 
And that's, that's part of making it sustainable. And then also how to make customers satisfied. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of people are doing different routes for me and Alterna. It's what I love is that if I can crowdfund a book and cover all my costs and maybe even make a little bit of profit, then moving out to Alterna and selling those single issues, that means readers have access to it. They have access to it at a lower price point. Um, and so to me that it's very potentially a, a nice sustainable model, but my model is a little different in that it's more of the ideal is to print the, the trade paperback first and then go to single issues. So it kind of flips it on its head. Um, what uh, Ethan's talking about is doing a subscription. And so you're, you're paying 125 bucks. It's, a, it's about 1050 per comic per issue. Uh, and you know, then you get it shipped to you monthly, which I, I kind of like that. I'd rather pay 1050 per issue and get a monthly installment of a book. Uh, and, you know, and then throughout the whole year, you've got hundreds of pages uh, as opposed to again, 48 pages per year. It's a little different, but um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it needs a little bit of refinement, but I like the direction that that's moving in. Cause that's really, to me, what is competing. That, that's the edge that the traditional publishers have is that they're giving you more story more often. And so if you could compete on that level, that's huge. How many pages are we talking about per month though? Because, you know, you can only crank out so much to get into that pipeline and, and do that. And, you know, unless you do something like with long Halloween, where you do every monthly issue and, and get, say nine or 10 of them done before they start rolling out, that's still, you know, that's, that's quite a bit of a, of a window between starting the creation of something and getting out into people's hands. And if you're talking about $10 for a monthly, for a floppy, basically, how many pages are that to make it worth it? Because, you know, you're, are you printing on, on glossy magazine stock? Are you on 80 pound stock? Are you on a hundred pound stock? Are you doing uh, newsprint pages? You know, all of those things factor into it. If I'm going to pay $10 for a book every month, then it needs to be worth it. But yeah. at the same time, how many people are going to decide that it's worth it to pay $10 for a monthly issue of a book? I guess those yeah. are the questions that have to be have to be ironed out on that stuff because I, that was the uh, that was one thing that I've been, I've been looking at all of these crowdfunded things and you've got all of these graphic novel books 80 pages 48 pages 100 pages whatever and Adam Post had said something one time about his process where he says you got to have the book finished before you launch the crowdfunding project you you've got to have the book done or at least mostly done before it goes out into the world and there's your baby and they tell you it's pretty or not because you get into a situation like with Brightweiser where the book's not done and then suddenly the Walmart thing happens and takes priority and now you've got a bunch of people feeling like they've been shafted because they don't have a book yet. Yeah. Or you get somebody like B. Clay Moore who we're what five, six years out from his project and we still haven't seen it. There's, there's still no fulfillment on that at all. And no sign of it ever being, yeah, being fulfilled. Um, yeah, it's tough. And in the crowdfunding game, that's everything. Uh, your reputation and, you know, your ability to help make fans feel satisfied and have confidence in you that you're, they're going to get your book. That's huge. I, I don't ever see... I mean, I, I like Mitch Breitweiser. I don't ever see uh, him getting the same kind of success that he did on that initial campaign because of uh, confidence, you know? Yeah. So I, I would I would love to have books finished ahead of time. And I think for a monthly series, you, you would have to have some serious, you'd have to have so many issues done ahead of time. And that would take either a major investment or it would take crowdfunding, which at least there is that option now, you know? And so, and I don't know for certain, I'm only speculating with like what Ethan is going to do, but if he crowdfunds and, and uh, you know, the basic perk is 125 bucks plus shipping, uh, you know, forget about that sometimes plus shipping in order to uh, send out a monthly issue to people that I guess would be the deciding factor is how many people are going to back that in order to get monthly issues um, and 
the other part of this is you are only, you're serving a very small set of people, narrow set of people that are willing to pay that much, but you still have the books. Um, and so I know for me personally, I'm still selling books, uh, you know, every week I'm selling new books uh, from downcast. Uh, they're already printed, they're sitting here. And so, you know, I've got the in-demand store still open and people are buying those and I can ship them out and I'm still making money. So I've almost sold, you know, what started at nine, would you say 924 back or something like that? Yeah. Uh, I've sold, uh, I'm probably 1800 books now have been sold. And so, you know, I'm, I'm almost through my 2000 uh, book print run. Now, uh, are which you, are yeah. you adding a print run for previous books into future campaigns? So, like, if I'm doing, if if I'm looking at Fatal, which because yeah. right now your your dollar your dollar amount is much higher, but y- your number of backers is sitting only at 790. So that that to me says, uh, you know, it's still early in the campaign, and you've got a number of people that are, that have a high confidence enough that they're willing to give you more money for this project. Yeah. Because now you've delivered two, and the response has been has been overall positive, and the artwork here from Charlie Snogans is very impressive, and I'm sure that's a selling point as well, because a lot of people like what Charlie is doing here in this book, and Absolutely. you've you've sung his praises on pretty much every stream that I've ever, that I've seen you on since this thing started. Uh, RJ in, in the chat from Critical Blast says, Fatal is the most professional-looking Comicscape book since Blood Honey. Yeah. Um, now, the, the Comicscape thing, is that, is that an issue? Has, does that cause problem, more problems than it's worth to have that label on some stuff? I mean, because you have, you have the various different factions. You have the various, you know, you have the infighting. You have the personality clashes and the and the drama and in in some cases really it's a bunch of junior high you know, mess. Yes, sometimes is at at some point is is Comics Gate going to shoot itself in the foot and become a detriment? Is there is that a yeah. danger? I, I don't know. I've seen I've seen so many examples of uh, individual creators that shoot themselves in the foot, you know, with the internet drama. I've not been perfect with this, and I kind of learned. I think like last November, I had a a, a bad uh, Twitter experience that I think was probably my fault. And so from then, I just committed to I you know I'm using Twitter to promote things and to network with people, and anything else you just walk on by because there, there's nothing there's nothing you can do you're not going to win and it's not helpful um you know being uh being associated with comics gate is something that i think is sort of baked into my brand you know um and it's not something i try and avoid or push away from or anything like that you know um I, I think ultimately it comes down to individual creators where I do see some things changing is um, maybe other mainstream creators or creators that are, you know, explicitly not CG. uh, If they start caring less about it (laughs) and every once in a while I'll see creators that just seem to not care and I'll promote books. I'm, I'm not one of those channels that says like, you have to be CG to be on my channel. Right. I don't really care all that much. Uh, and so what's interesting to me is when I get people that want to be promoted and they want to associate knowing that uh, comics gate is, you know, it's baked into my brand. It's part of my brand. Uh, so that's interesting. I think more, the more creators that are kind of just like not making it an issue uh, then it it's sort of just a non-issue. Well, and you yeah. you don't seem to be one of the ones who likes to poke the bear, as it were. I mean, you look yeah. at some of some of them. I'm, I'm, I won't mention names, but there are some Comicsgate personalities that like to um, uh, what's uh, exacerbate things. Oh, hey, you're going to say this? Well, I'm going to take it and I'm going to have some fun with it and poke, poke, poke. And just kind of seems seems like some of that behavior is a little bit counterproductive in the in in the main. 
And it doesn't really seem, I haven't noticed any where you've sat there and said, oh yeah, well, I'll show you and, and, and take that and run with it, which I think is probably the smarter way to go because why, why antagonize the other side? And, and that question applies to both sides of things. I mean, if you're a professional working at DC or Marvel, why, why even bother trying to paint the, a group of independent comics creators as a hate group when it's just, you know, you're making comic books. Yeah. You know, you're, you're now the competition and I get that. So they're going to poke, but, but DC and Marvel don't do this to each other and they never did. Uh, so it, it seems to me to be really counterproductive for, for either side to be, for, to be behaving that way. Is there a point, do you see in the future where whoever is left in the, in the professional side of things, and I don't want to say professional, but the traditional publishing of comics, is there a point in the future, do you see where they leave indie creators alone? Not just not just Comicscape, but just all independents. I'm going to crowdfund a book, say Scott Snyder, Sean Gordon Murphy, um, you know Blake Northcott. Say say any of those come out and and decide oh, I'm going to do my do my own thing. You know, say Warren Ellis decides he's going to try to rehabilitate his career and he does a crowdfunded book. It it feels like there's a lot of people that sit there and say, oh well, you're crowdfunding. If you go with Indiegogo, then you're a comic skater. But, yeah. you, you know, if you don't want to be associated with comic books, you have to go to Kickstarter. That gatekeeping just seems like it's juvenile. Do you yeah. s- do you see a point where that goes away? I, I think so. It, but honestly, it's lasted longer than I thought it would, uh, you know, initially. <laughs> and so I don't know why. Um, again, that's the tough thing. The difficult thing about Comicsgate is that you you're you're sharing a brand what and it doesn't matter if you're anti-comics again whichever cloud crowd crowdfunding platform you use makes a statement and so uh depending upon what you choose you're going to have this brand and then you're automatically shared with you know what is the lowest common denominator essentially um you know people being like you say counterproductive on twitter and I see, I see some counterproductive uh, stuff that happens on Twitter. I've, I've mentioned it. I, I try not to um, spend too much time on it because if you do, then, then you end up, you're, you're sort of doing the same thing, you know, policing what other people are. And, and so it really is a, it almost feels like a lose-lose situation. Yeah. But I see it and uh, it's tough. I gotta, and that, that to me is why it's so important to be, you know, I, I, there's the article, New York Times article, I think, that went out where they said Comicsgate has a, a long history of shipping books late or not shipping books at all or something like that, uh, which is kind of a ridiculous statement. I think most books get out uh, on time, if not, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. Right. My books, my books always get out. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I really try to make sure I have my books out. And so I think that's where taking extra care to make sure that your own personal brand is on the up and up is so important. Um, I, eventually though, I do see it kind of fading. I hope anyway, because it's just so exhausting <laughs> to have like, <laughs> to have like the enemies, you know, and yeah. who you should associate with, who you shouldn't like all this kind of stuff. And you hear a little horror, horror stories behind the scenes. It's just, well, and we see in in Ari Bryce's re- resignation from New York Times, basically saying the editorial board has pretty much abdicated any responsibility over to Twitter. And you know, Twitter is is what two percent of the population that uses the thing. It should not have as as prominent a position of influence as it does. And it, and it seems like you know now that Tumblr's kind of faded away they've all kind of migrated over to twitter it's just it's just become this this grind of oh do i really have to look at any of this stuff just all of you go away um it's just it just seems to me that it's you know junior high 
is junior high all over again? I was like, oh, I dread going into Twitter just to even see what's going on. Uh, uh, you know, you're you're yeah. doing this behind the couch. It's like, oh, okay, Twitter. Yeah. And um, then, yeah, big yeah. corporations will bow to what the, the junior high behavior. And that's the, it's just crazy. Yeah. So Robert in the chat saying, maybe you can answer this on stream. You're related to Bram Stoker. You've got genealogy documents. Does this mean you baptize Dracula's creator into Mormonism? <laughs> and when will we have Dracula versus Brigham Young on the Great Trek story? <laughs> I love that. That's funny. Um, but you are working I, on a Dracula story. I am working on a Dracula story. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird because people would always say like, oh, you're related to Bram. And I knew I wasn't, uh, but then I was not sure. So my mom looked it up. She's like, oh yeah, you are. Here's the here's the receipts <laughs> and the lineage, you know. So I can prove it. But uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I I've been actually working. I'm trying to nail down an artist for Dracula. Um, I sent it. What I did, I've got someone working on a sample page. We'll see how that goes. And uh, if it goes good, I'm hoping this might be the first book that I have close to finish at least by the time we launch the campaign. So uh, that that's sort of a, the goal there. We're, we're moving in that direction. Now, does that, are we going to get into the same situation kind of like, you remember that one year where we had, I think three Christopher Columbus movies all come out at the same time. And uh, we just got word. Who is it? Is it, is it, is it boom? IDW, somebody's pulling out uh, a new Dracula, a Bela Lugosi Dracula comic book. Are we going to start seeing some overlap? You know, so because I'm, I mean, Dracula's in the in the public domain. Mm-hmm. So, do you worry about competing ideas that are similar in in that sense? Is that going to cause issues and, and create difficulties, or or do you or have you got that all figured out? Well, there's um, there's so much stuff out there on Dracula that I I had an idea and then I I, I shared it with Vaughn Klaus, uh, and uh, he's like, oh, this sounds like this other idea. So I looked it up, uh, some movie that was about Dracula. I looked it up. I was like, oh, I could see a couple similarities. Uh, so I don't know. I I the idea I have is so out there and <laughs> so different <laughs> that I think it's going to be very very different. Um, than anything uh, that, that that's out there having said that this is we're just talking about a one shot um you know this is a single story it'll be fun to do a little little short horror kind of thing but um it's i don't know i'm not going to delve too much into current dracula it's more like early early days of, of dracula um so that's the plan right now but I, I don't want to do a lot of public domain stuff. I feel like I kind of have to do, I have to do Dracula because so many people keep asking about it. Sure. Uh, so, so I have to do that, but beyond that, I think I've got so many ideas of just or totally original ideas I want to do that. Um, yeah. I'm going to probably stay away from public domain characters from, you know, after Dracula. So you've got fatal, you've got downcast. Um, a couple of questions on those. I'm, I'm assuming that there's going to be more than one fatal. And are these stories potentially part of a shared universe, the Stoker verse, as it were, or, or do they live in their own separate universes and never the twain shall meet? Yeah. Uh, so, so Charlie, the way, uh, the reason it gets a little bit complicated is because I've got shared ownership, uh, with downcast and with fatal and they're with different people. So there's a little, potentially a little bit of complication there. Charlie has already said, Hey, you want to make this part of the downcast universe? Go for it. You know? So, so I could, um, and I think, you know, Nacho uh, who, you know, he co-owns uh, downcast, I'm sure we could work something out pretty easily. I could do it. Um, I don't have any plans for it though, in that they're just such different stories. Uh, at the most, I think I could see doing a crossover, but I don't think I would build out a universe that, um, you know, they would often you know, mingle. Right. Uh, having said that though, like downcast, I do have 
other ideas to sort of expand that universe a little bit. I want, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I think, you know, when I see people plan an entire universe from the get go without knowing if they can sell a single book, (laughs) that, that to me is a, a mistake. So I don't want to do that and get ahead of myself, but I've got, um, I've got ideas to sort of expand and grow, build upon the downcast universe and perhaps have one or two other titles uh, that are, have kind of grown from that. But I want to make sure that it's, that there's demand for it. And, uh, you know, one step at a time. Sure. And we were talking to Rob, Rob Geronimo last week about blood realm and some of the other, so he's got a new, the new project with Wirecast. Uh, are, are there, Plans and schemes that would involve, because, you know, now we're talking about some of these books going monthly. Are you allowing for the possibility that some other creators come in to work inside your universe? You know, maybe you have, if if you get to the point where Downcast can be a monthly thing, whether it's crowdfunded or if it's going through Alterna, and you've got four or five other titles that are going is there potential for other writers and different artists and, and different creative teams to come in and start working on some of these books? Or are you the one who's, I've got to write everything, I've got to have control? How much How much yeah. are you willing to give up creatively in order to expand the operation, as it were? Uh, I would love to bring some other creators in. I think the writing uh, for the foreseeable future, I'd want to handle the writing. Uh, but if I'm, again, one step at a time, but if I'm really at the point where there's enough appetite for downcast and people see the the direction I want to take it in, if there's enough appetite for that, I'd love to have, you know, a few different titles and expand the universe. And uh, of course, you'd have to have different artists on, you know, and Nacho's not going to be able to do everything. Um, writers, I, I, I do, I like that idea. And I think the way that that would probably start is, um, you know, downcast three, what I'd love to do is, is have a main story and then have some backup stories. And that's, I think a good place to try out, uh, another writer, another artist and have them do a little short story that would kind of introduce them to the world. And, um, you know, it really come down to finding the right people. I've got a couple of writers in mind though. That's like, I'd love to see, you know, if I gave them this, uh, you know, other story that's sort of related to it in the same universe, what they would do with it. So uh, I'm, I'm really open to that. It would just be, you know, we'll see how it evolves, I guess. Now, what about uh, adding prose short stories, kind of like what Alan Moore did with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where you have the comic book, but in the back, there's some other pieces of that. Would that give you uh, potential openings for other, other writers to come on that maybe not necessarily, are uh comic book writers but they're they're still in that in that headspace and then you know subsequent to that could we be looking at you know like we've done we've seen with you know the tales of the batman or you know some of these different prose novels you know kevin j anderson does enemies and allies or the last days of krypton where you've got uh, novels and short story anthologies, like like uh, like RJ's mentioned in the in the in the chat, in the Downcast universe or in the Fatal universe, that's not necessarily a comic book. Have you thought that far ahead yet? Um, so in in Downcast Rise and Fall, so Downcast Two, I do have in the back the Secret History of Strata, which is was it twenty six pages, but it's not exactly straightforward prose. It's a, it's a bit of a mix uh, between the two. It's supposed to look like a document that has been uh, collected over the years with little artifacts in it and some, you know, we've got illustrations as well. And so that's some, uh, that's some sort of playing in that field. Uh, Though, honestly, I want to try and do more comic and sequential art content. So I'm definitely not against adding prose because I've done it once already. Uh, to a small extent, but um, I really want the focus to be on sequential art and comics just because I, I think that's what most of the audience wants anyway. That's what the readers are have backed the books for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just building more into that, leaning into that is probably best for right now at least. 
out of the different creators that have their own IPs now. Uh, and, and we've heard the complaint that a lot of the people that are in comics are writing comics in order to get the next Netflix deal or to, you know, get their foot in the door in Hollywood. But out of the IPs that are currently coming out of the crowdfunding model, do you see any of them with the potential to get developed into film media at all? Has there been a back? Cause you guys, you guys chat back and forth cause you're sharing, you know, I learned this. I don't try this. Don't do this. I did this and it didn't, it didn't go right. Or, you know, I tried this and it worked great. You guys are, are sharing the things, what you learn as part of this process in terms of, you know, different tips on packing and shipping and fulfillment and, and add-ons and try the cards and try the stickers and whatever. Has there been discussion about any anybody thinking about the the movie adaptation or the TV adaptation yet? Or is that is that too far out that, oh, I don't even want to think about that yet? Uh, there are some people thinking about it for sure. And I, I've seen, uh, I, I, not, not with me, <laughs> that's for sure. I've, I haven't had anybody talk to me about film and I wouldn't even know how to start. Um, but I do know that there are a few that have, I, I can't say who, um, but um, you know, most of it is, Hey, if I sell film rights, for example, what should my contract look like? Hey, there's somebody interested in buying film rights or they might be interested. What, how much, should I sell that for um, things like that? And so uh, I think there's, I think it's inevitable that it's going to happen eventually. Well, I don't know. T-Bear has said that black and whites uh, going into a, an animated series of some sort that, you know, he's, he's made that announcement. Oh, so it's kind of that one where, you know, like you said, it's kind of an inevitable thing. At some point, somebody's going to look at this and they're going to take it seriously enough that, the the things open up for the different possibilities of of what you guys can do mm. yeah it's a uh, no doubt it's going to happen i'm not sure who's going to be first though because <laughs> i'm <laughs> there's a there's a few different aspects because i think if you're going to make it what's the easiest one because that might almost be first you know and i know like with horror usually the it's a low budget lower budget uh, relatively speaking right and so you could do something like that Cyberfrog, I know he is, just has the most attention, but making a Cyberfrog film would be really expensive, I yeah. imagine. Oh, I, so, I imagine it yeah. would. I mean, you could do it as a cartoon, yeah. but you know, with, with live action, you're looking at Transformers level type having to do the CGI. Yep. And yeah, you're right. That gets very expensive. Vilned in the chat says, Graveyard Shift seems like great adaptation bait. Uh, and he's launched his uh third the third volume of of graveyard shift i think is now live yeah. is that right that's john yep. malin right yep yeah i i could for sure see that happening again you're sort of balancing the ones that get a lot of attention versus the ones that like i could see uh you know like narwhal some of his books getting picked up in like a little independent film you know be just because they would be very approachable and mm. you know, from an independent film perspective. Um, I'm trying to think even who's done, I don't know, like Peter Samedi has the chair that that's been made into a film a, a long while ago. I'm not sure when the film was made, but again, that was a, a script that was easily adaptable. And so I think there are, there are definitely ones that would be easier than others. Uh, I, I don't know though. There's so many. Uh, I keep thinking like, oh, six, I love Six Gun Gorilla. Maybe that one would be one, but that would take, uh, again, some heavy CGI <laughs> to yeah. make that one work too. Now, besides uh, besides Fatal, besides the Dracula Project, is there anything else you're working on you can talk about yet? You can kind of give us some hints. What's next for you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll, what I want to do is build out a, a schedule at least so people kind of know what to expect from me. And this, it'll be easier once I know I've got projects in the pipeline and, um, you know, things are being worked on or close to completed. But my plans for the future is we're, there's, we're likely to do another fatal book, uh, very likely, I would say. Um, I want to do another downcast. I kind of want to see what the reception is for the second downcast book and we sort of wrapped up a, a story arc so it wraps up nicely so i want to do another one that has 
it's it's a really nice entry point for new readers and uh, sort of starts a new story arc. Um, so I have plans for that. Nacho's on board to do it. Uh, I don't know when that's going to launch though, because he's got a, he actually has a monthly book that he's committed to uh, elsewhere. So it's going to be a little, little slow going for the next downcast. Um, besides that, I have an idea I really want to do. I would love to do something a little bit more long form, a little bit more epic. Um, the, I think the working title was Coma Monk, but it's been a little difficult to get a creative team together for that. So I want to do it. I want to do like eight issues worth. Like I, I want it to be a little bit bigger and perhaps even bigger than that. But um, I don't have dates yet for that. So I would expect Dracula will probably launch sometime in February or March, I would guess. So that would probably be the next crowdfunding campaign. Have you noticed a difference in performance depending on when you launch a book? Because now you now you've done three, you know you're in your third one, and I was I saw a stream uh, the other day, Peter and and uh, and Rob Geronimo talking about when Wirecast launches, and Peter was saying that Tuesday is generally a good time, a, a good day of the week to launch. But are you seeing? a difference in the time of year in terms of what months are better, because I've heard February, March is not a good time to launch, but there a number of the books have launched around that time. Is it making a difference at all that you see? Um, I think about this a lot, actually. Um, there, there's stats out there that uh, December, January, February are terrible months for crowdfunding campaigns. But the information they go off of is how much, like how many dollars have been raised during those months. And so part of it could be that people aren't launching crowdfunding campaigns during those months for other reasons. You know, just it's not ideal for the launch for other reasons, you know, the holidays and then moving into the beginning of the year. And, you know, so, so there's that I launched a, a downcast two in January which was a nice experiment and did well though. So I don't, I'm not sure that it really matters. Um, I'll, I'll see people too, like Richard Meyer, he'll launch a campaign on a Saturday night, <laughs> which is like generally not a great time because people aren't on the internet uh, to see that you've launched it. Uh, and, but he still, it doesn't seem to affect him at all. So ultimately I think you're, you're bringing your crowd to back your book. I still launch on Tuesdays. They say Tuesdays and Wednesdays, has, you know, statistically it has the most traffic and people are, are, are at work or whatever. And, you know, the Monday is past where they're really busy. And so they're, they're spending a little bit more time browsing the internet right. on Tuesday and Wednesday. And so that, that's why it's a good, that's the justification for why it's a good day to launch. I would bet though, if I launched on a Friday, I'd probably have similar results. Uh, so I've kind of changed my mind on this and I think it matters. Uh, it doesn't matter as much as we make it to be yeah robert in the chat says so much of crowdfunding marketing strategy is closer to voodoo than social science <laughs> it it does it almost does feel like you know it's still you know we're, we're figuring it out making it up as you go but you guys are are developing a best practices it, has anybody talked about putting together a guide for everyone to say, okay, here's what we've learned. Now that we've done a dozen books, you know, we've done 20 books. Now here's, here's the best way to do each step and, and get everyone's input and what you've all learned and, and have something that's a handy reference for anybody that's going to start their, their project. So uh, there's one that exists actually, and it's um, is put together by How to Draw Co- Comics. So this is uh, Rob and Clayton. I think I'm not sure. But yeah, they're Australians, uh, and uh, they they have something together, and it's free too. Um, so they interview people and they ask all these questions, and they've basically compiled compiled this document. It's on a I think they have it on a Dropbox file or something like that, or maybe a Google drive file anyway but but yeah it, it's a basically they've compared notes with a ton of people and added all of the how-tos in this thing i think it'd be cool to make a book out of it you know once they have more data to go with it that would be an interesting component to 
Um, but it's out there, but you're right. Making it a little bit more curated would be even that much more helpful. Do you see, do you see more professionals like Scott Snyder and Sean Gordon Murphy getting into the crowdfunding model? Is that where professionals are, are headed next? Uh, yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's just too much. Um, part of it is you're, you're charging more for book per book. And so if they're, you know, you can get paid X amount, you get paid $50 to write a book, or if you could get paid a thousand dollars, you know, at some point it's just, you're going to go where the money is. Yeah. All right. Well, what else, what else is, is going on with you? Any, any issues with fulfillment? Have you run into any problems on that end? Uh, fulfillment to, for Downcast 2 went pretty smoothly. Um, and that I had, since I had the one under my belt, the second one was uh, much more straightforward. So that was nice. Uh, I expected actually more problems because of COVID, uh, which you know, I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't a big deal. It did delay my printer by about a month, mm. a month and a half, which sucked, but, but it was fine. You know, I got the books that turned out great. Uh, so th that wasn't a, a, a massive problem. Uh, other than that, I think I've got some backers that, you know, are still waiting for books and they kind of get lost in the mail system, but that happens. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty normal every time, especially, uh, when you're talking about international backers. Um, so yeah, every day I get maybe an email a day about uh, a shipping problem or damage or something like that. But I'd say in about another two, three weeks, I'll probably stop hearing uh, from any of that. And, uh, you know, I'll feel comfortable that we're totally finished with fulfillment. Is international distribution still a, a hurdle to, to get over? Robert was mentioning in the, in the, uh, the chat that he can't wait for Downcast to go to Alterna so he can get the digital copy but he's, because he's in Canada. Is is international shipping still an issue for for the crowdfunding side? Because I know Peter was talking about some issues that he's got now that Alterna is going direct. You yeah. have to lay all of that all that groundwork out now to get those books in places other than the United States, and that's not cheap. Yeah, is has are, is, is anybody figuring out a best way to do international yet? I haven't, I haven't seen a good option. I know exactly what, what that option could look like, uh, but I haven't seen anyone do it yet. Uh, what I'd love to see is, especially in the UK, which is the biggest international uh, location that we're shipping books to, they're elsewhere as well, which, which makes it complicated. But if in the UK, if somebody were to, you know, start up some kind of, business where people could order through them their crowdfunded books mm -hmm. and then they would turn around and order them on the crowdfunding site uh, or if they could you could order your book in the UK and just put this location site this business that you've decided to work with and um, if we could just ship in bulk all the UK packages to this one location and then from there they would distribute it to their individual uh, you know people that would save on shipping a lot like that would be a big deal for UK backers uh, to bring the price down. So the way that that would work, I think honestly, the easiest way it would work is if they were a bit of a middleman. I hate to say that, but it makes the most sense. But if they were buying in bulk, uh, okay, we've got these these number of orders, so we know we can just send them a box full of books. Right. Uh, you could even have them prepackaged inside of that box. You know, so you, they're all separated aside and everyone has their signatures and their different tiers. But if just shipping them to one location and then having them deal with the distribution locally there, that would save a lot of money. So has there been any discussion about approaching lunar or was, what's the other one? D, D, uh, UCB or BCS or whatever the one that uh, that's run out of New York. Any, any discussion about talking to them about, getting in a shipping pipeline because Di diamond doesn't look like it's going to be around for very much longer. I mean, quite frankly, it, just looking at, you know, the whole, our comeback is bigger, you know, bigger than our setback. And then they're sending books that are damaged and boxes that are beat up and 
you know, shorting orders, and it, it just doesn't seem like they're yeah. they're delivering the goods, and they're you know we're already looking at other alternatives. Are those possible options for distribution for crowdfunding books? Do you think it, it gets tough because everybody's independent. So it, um, so having the right kind of volume for distribution, I think gets tricky. Um, I'm sure that there's a route to go. And again, that's where I think that there's room for a refinement and mm-hmm. distributing books going forward. Like right now, like I said, I've got extra copies and I'm shipping them out myself. You know, I'm distributing them myself, but it'd be great to have, to know that they're in stores. The big option that people say is you can just ship a book full of, or a box full of books to Amazon and they'll distribute them for you. Technically, you know, you can, you can set that up. Um, I don't like the way that Amazon treats books though. (laughs) I hate buying books, especially comics from Amazon and they just come really beat up uh but but that's an option i know a lot of people talk about it so robert's asking if you've read the king arthur stories if you have any interest in writing in that world and if you've read the 12 peers of charlemagne um uh, you know a little bit with uh king arthur but i don't i don't know if it to me it's more of a fantasy sword and sorcery kind of vibe and that's not really my thing i could be convinced otherwise (laughs) but um yeah i don't have any plans uh for anything like that are you sticking with science fiction as your wheelhouse are you thinking maybe you might step into horror or steampunk or any of the other yeah subcultures uh, subgenres uh yeah absolutely sci-fi i don't know why i just had ideas in in comics for sci-fi to start off with but I, I, I'm really excited to do Dracula because of horror. Uh, it's kind of fun to, to switch it up a little bit there. Um, you know, beyond that, I think, uh, like I've got a great idea for, it's not really science fiction. I guess it would be, uh, supernatural, maybe mm-hmm. some supernatural stuff. I think that would be uh, pretty fun. Um, you know, action stuff or spy espionage books that I think I would love to do some of that kind of stuff. So I'm definitely not um, exclusively, exclusively a sci-fi writer. It's just that those happen to be, <laughs> those were the two at the top of my list uh, kind of getting into comics. So, all right. Well, the book is fatal. That's uh, what's out there now. Let's do a refresh here real quick and see where we're sitting. 4,426 with 790 backers. It looks like somebody changed their changed their level then because you've got the same number of backers the money went up. <laughs> yeah, the and it comes that the base the base book is $25 as opposed to uh you know D- Downcast 1 was $15, uh Downcast 2 is $20. Uh and it's just, you know, the expenses to make the book with Charlie doing the artwork. Sure. It just it just costs more money. So and the YouTube channel is Sweetcast and it looks like you just uploaded a new uh new video today. How regularly are you putting uh content out on the on the video channel now? You know, I try to do daily. I I took the weekend off because I was just streaming everywhere. I didn't really have time <laughs> to, to do a video. But um but yeah, I'm I'm definitely doing at least five days a week every work work day i'm trying to do uh, one every week so this this week the plan is to do one one every day uh, of the week all right well we will let you get back to it clint stoker thank you very much for being here today we do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us we'll have to do this again very soon absolutely it's great to talk to you good luck with fatal and those of you who are uh who are interested uh, we will put the links in the the show notes here, so you could go check out uh, both the Indiegogo project and the Sweetcast channel. And in the meantime, if you are interested in supporting us, we do have a Subscribestar account set up, and uh, it is over there, subscribestar.com slash sci-fi for me. And we've negotiated a discount at superherostuff.com. You can use the promo code sci-fi for me 10 at checkout and save 10% off your order. And if you would like to get one of these nice, neat little stickers, you can send us an, uh, a note. Send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. We're going to do it the old-fashioned way. 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030 is the address. 
tomorrow, you may have gotten a little bit of a hint on it because I had I had it in a graphic and it wasn't supposed to be. Tomorrow's guest, Mercedes Lackey, is is joining us uh, in the bunker tomorrow. And tonight, we do not have an H2O podcast. We got a bye week tonight. Uh, but we do want you to come back here tomorrow t- and see our conversation with Mercedes Lackey. And we've got other stuff going on throughout the week. So make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you have your notifications turned on. And we will be back with more here live from the bunker tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.